The scripture reading is out of uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, 27 through 39, reads like this. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to the, his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to this? Or excuse me, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Whom shall bring charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, depth, nor anything created, excuse me, nor height, depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to just come here and, and proclaim your word. Lord, I ask that uh, you would speak to the people, Lord. Speak to the heart and their situation. And Lord, I just ask that you would be glorified. We love you and we praise you in, your, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to share a video, um, but before I do, I don't normally do this. I usually just preach and don't do a video thing. But this video spoke to me because mm, a few years back, I had been saved probably a couple years, and I started to notice some things, sin that had crept back in my life. These were things that, when I first got saved, were cast out, but they came back. And it left me in a quandary. What in the world is going on? Because in my knowledge at that time, um, as long as I did okay, as long as I followed the rules, nothing would come. I wouldn't stumble. I wouldn't fall. But that's not the case. If anybody in here has been saved for any length of time, you've found out it's a battle. You have like almost like a honeymoon period where you know the sky could fall and you'd be singing zippity-doo-dah. But then after that passes, it's battle. This song that I'm going to play and the video 
it brought me to tears because it shows it's a, of a guy running on a track. And Paul references that. We're in a race. But something happens to him. But then something better happens. So, go ahead. So, so, 
I don't know if there's anybody in here that can relate to that video, but that video is like your walk. You start running, and from the first time out of the gate, you're running well. You feel good. Everything's wonderful. But then, you know, sometimes things happen, and you pull a hammy, and God wants us to finish the race. But I don't think uh, I lost it until... The Father came out. That's Jesus. He didn't, he didn't leave him. And he helped him to finish. But I want to draw a distinct line tonight on blessed assurance between works and being saved. They are, they are linked. I don't want anybody to wake or freak out or, wait a minute. It's all good. I do believe that we should do works. But I do believe that there is eternal security aside from the works. And I'm going to go through that. But what I wanted to share with that was that Jesus is always there with us. As, as the, the Christian, one of the first things that I noticed is I was on the track. That was the first clue that I was saved. He started re- revealing things to me. Though I wasn't perfect, I was on the track. I was running. And sometimes things happen. That doesn't excuse, and we'll get to that in a little bit, that doesn't excuse the sin. But he wanted to make sure that I knew the sin was covered. The sin was covered over 2,000 years ago. God was not up in heaven thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I died for all of his sins except for that one? No. No. He died for all of my sins. He looked into my, my future at that point in time, and he was willing to cover all of them in one fell swoop. And then he raised from the dead, bringing me life. Okay? So, we're going to get into the chapter 8 here. Um, but right before we get there, there were a couple things that he was showing me all week long. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus makes a statement to his disciples. He says that your righteousness must exceed that. It's, did I say Matthew 5.20? Okay, I just want to make sure, sorry. He says, your righteousness, righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. I'm paraphrasing. I think it's flip-flop. So, I want to ask you a question. What does that mean? When he, when he says, Chris, your righteousness must exceed the Pharisees and the scribes. It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> a little bit on the Pharisees. If you don't know what it meant to be a Pharisee, they were like the 
religious of the religiosity people there ever were and ever will be. They took God's law and then they added to it to make sure that they were covered. Just to get the foot in the door to be counted as a Pharisee, you had to be able to quote verbatim, without mistake, the first five books of our Bible, which is called the Pentateuch. Anybody in here by a show of hands can do that? Me neither. These people knew God's Word. The Old Testament at that time. So when Jesus makes the statement, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, what was he insinuating? There was something more righteous than them. He was. The only way that we can be more righteous than the Pharisees and the scribes is because Jesus was more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. And through him, on his coattails in essence, that's how we're done. That's how we get the righteousness. It's imputed upon us at salvation. Okay? John chapter 10, I preached the last time on the shepherd. Um, John chapter 10, verse 28 through 30. Let me flip there real quick. Jesus makes uh, another statement referring to security. Uh, 28, well, I'll go back to 27. It says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone, catch this, neither shall anyone snatch them out of My hand. This is Jesus Christ speaking, people. But He ups it. He ups it even farther. 29, My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of My Father's hand. Now, I don't know if you can get much more secure than that, but I'm going to try and show a little bit more. This is about your blessed assurance. When you're struggling, when you're striving and fighting, you need to be able to, like the Israelite people, when they crossed over the Jordan, They put stones there. They stacked them 12 high. Why did they do that? So every time that they would struggle and fight, they would retreat back, they would see the stones, and they'd go, oh yeah, I'm saved. But they never crossed back over the Jordan. Same thing here. The imputed righteousness is pretty much throughout Romans. I mean, you could read through the whole first part of Romans anyways and see Jesus Christ's righteousness is imputed on us. That means it's not something you work for. It was given to you. So, I warn you, if you're in the mode that you think that you must earn your salvation, you're barking up the wrong tree. Because you're going you're gonna to be like a ship tossed to and fro. Up and down. Up and down. 
As long as I'm doing good, I'm in good with God. As soon as I make one mistake, I gotta, I gotta re-earn it again. How much? Where do you draw the line? Where's the anchor to steady the ship? It's the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's that's the anchor. He died for our sins, all of them, and then covered us. You see that the first time you see the covering of Christ. It's a picture in the Old Testament in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned. They did what God told them not to. They ate of the fruit and then went and hid. That's pretty, I mean, it's not funny, but it's funny to me. But they went and hid, made themselves clothing out of uh, leaves because they saw their sin and they were trying to cover it themselves. God comes strolling through the, the, the uh, garden, so to speak, in the cool of the day, and he yells out, Adam, where are you? Now, this God, does God really not know where he is? No. God knows exactly where he is, but God wants Adam and Eve, both of them, to know where they stood. That was a question like when you ask your little kid, you have a little kid, you ever catch him with, the hand, with his hand in the cookie jar? What's the first thing out of your mouth? What are you doing? Really? Are you really wondering what he's doing? No. It's the same thing there. But shortly after that, you see God cover them with an animal skin. That's the first picture of Christ's covering from the very beginning. It was pointing forward to what he would do for us. We too have sinned and need covering. It, the leaves that they had made for themselves, they weren't sufficient to cover their sin. They needed a sacrifice. And God sacrificed the animal just like he sacrificed his own son. Okay? So, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. You see that in the scripture. Man, I don't know what to say about that. That's just a hallelujah kind of moment because I need that. We all need that. There are times where I'm walking and I think I'm doing pretty good and according to God's word, the Holy Spirit is communicating with God opposed to me making sure that everything takes place that I need taken place to keep me on the straight and narrow. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, be that something good or be that a trial. If you ever wonder if God brings about things to keep us on the right track, read up on Paul. He was given a thorn in the flesh but he answers why. He was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Because if he didn't have it, he would go exceedingly above everybody and would look down his nose at everybody. Okay? And in verse 28, you see all things work to the the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Notice that the word called is past tense. Are you a believer in Christ? 
Were you there that day? This took place 2,000 years ago. Well, close to 2,000 years ago. They're past tense. You see the same thing in verse 29. I'm not going to dwell on the good things out of verse 28. That's not this sermon. But that's a wonderful verse. All things that you go through, all things, your trials, your ups, your downs, all of those things God will flip on their head if He needs to to make them come out to your good. You might not see it as good until five years later, but it'll be good. Okay, Verse 29. Notice that all of those, the predestined, called, uh, justified, and glorified, every single one of those is in the past tense form. This isn't going to happen. It's already happened. In God's mind, in God's eye, this is how He sees you. In Jesus Christ's righteousness, you are already, according to Paul, seated in the heavenlies. Are you there yet? In God's mind you are. You might have to live the rest of your life, but it's a done deal. It's over. Jesus Christ on the cross, when it was done, what did He say? It's finished. Nothing more will be required. You will not have to put one more thing into this to make sure that you have salvation. What a blessed assurance that is. We don't have to work for that. Unless you want to say believe, but belief, is, I, don't, I don't know. To me, it's not really a work, but some people think it is. <laughs> but according to your belief, your feet will walk that way. That's where the works come in. Okay? Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 13. There real quick. Ah, too far. I did a really poor job of marking my pages today. Um, says in him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse twelve that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Verse 13, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having be believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. <laughs> hallelujah! Hallelujah! How can you not say hallelujah to that? You are sealed. This isn't a, well, as long as you do okay and you walk the narrow straight, then you have my seal. But as soon as you step off a little bit, my seal's gone and you've got to earn it back. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, 
I think you have to understand salvation. What we have now is positional. We have salvation positionally. We haven't actualized have it yet in our grasp. That comes after death. But according to God's Word, the Holy Spirit who seals you is a guarantee. It's a guarantee of your inheritance, which is salvation. Now, if anybody in here wants to say that God would take away the guarantee that He guarantees, I guess we can have that conversation, but it's pretty short. So, I'm going to stop there for a second. God really wants you to see there's a line. You must know. You must know the difference between being saved and lost. There is a, a horrible thing going on in our country. In our churches, people are trying to muddy or make things that are black and white gray. And it's making people be, think they're saved and not be saved. And people that are saved think they're not saved. There's this big, muddy, huge, muddy mess. God made it black and white. All the pictures in the Old Testament. You're either in the house or you're not. You're either covered by the blood or you're not. You're either in the ark or you're dead. Rahab's house. You're either in that house or you're not and you're dead. They're very clear, concise, cut, dry. No different in the New Testament. You are either in Christ or you're not. But people muddy the waters and it makes people wane. People that are truly saved, they struggle with this. They struggle with self-condemnation because they have no blessed assurance because they're afraid that the next step that they take might be the one that falls off the cliff and they're never found again. But scripturally, in the Bible, anybody in here think David's not going to be in heaven? No, I don't see very many hands. How about Moses? No hands. How about Abraham? Again, no hands. Every single one of those men were called by God and they sinned and they had consequences for the sin, but they never were let go by God. Jonah? How about Jonah? Jonah flat out told God no and walked the other direction. What happened to Jonah? He got delivered. Amen. He did get delivered. There was a fish appointed for Jonah. It wasn't like the fish was swimming by and goes, oh, what a perfect thing. That was sent by God for Jonah. For the purpose of bringing him back. If you're lost and a Christian, you're walked away, not lost. Lost a bad word. If you've wandered from God as His sheep, trust me, He's going to come and get you. You still have the seal of the Holy Spirit. He will bring you back. Those that look like they're saved and wander, those are the ones that confuse everybody. Because we think they look saved. But we don't know the heart. God does. That'll be revealed over a period of time. You see somebody wander away from the faith, 
they will come back. Even John, later in the, the later books of John, he says that. Those that aren't with us now, they were never with us in the first place, basically. So it's important. It's important to me, and it should be important to you, that you know the difference between the lost and the saved. There is a line in the sand. And I want to give you encouragement that God's not kidding. When He says nothing will snatch you out of My hand, that when I sealed you with the Holy Spirit, when I've covered you in Christ's righteousness, you can't mess it up. I saved you in spite of you, and I'm going to keep you in spite of you. So, does this mean that we have free reign? We can do whatever we want. Right? No. I would not recommend that. I can't, I can't really rightly tell you how bad it would be in the belly of a fish, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's bad. And trust, you, trust me, you'll know when you start wandering. I know it. You can feel it. it you you, you want to sin, and then it's ruined. It's not like it was when it, when, before you were saved. It's no fun anymore. God ruins it for you. Hallelujah for that. So, what God really spoke to me about this general thought was the foundation. And, and Paul talks about a foundation in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3, yeah, 3, 10 through 15. And for those that might doubt that there is a distinction between blessed assurance and the works that would follow out of response, to the blessed assurance, hold tight. Verse 10, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed. Now he who builds on it. How he builds on it, excuse me. Verse 11, for no other foundations can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's salvation. You can't make another way. There's nothing you can do. It's cut dry. It's either Jesus or me. Okay? Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw... Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it, what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive reward. There's what, there's what we work for. Okay? It's a response, though. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, 
But he himself, listen to this, put your, your ears on. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Blessed assurance isn't about your work. When God does something good in your life, what's your response? You praise, right? Praise is a response. Worship is a response. Blessed assurance is kind of like salvation here. And your works, the good things that you do, that you were set aside to do, those are a response to the blessed assurance that you have. The security that you know that you're going to heaven. That you know that God's going to take care of you. It is a response. And even if you are a pitiful excuse for a Christian, and everything that you've done through your whole life that God gave you to do, and all the things that you had to do it with, and you squandered it, and you built all of your stuff on the foundation, which is salvation, your blessed assurance, and you come to that day, and it's burnt up, what does God say about that? You're still going to be saved. You're going to come through with smelling like fire, but you'll be saved. Went too fast. So our obedience is not in vain. We are going to have rewards. Um, some rewards are going to be greater than others. Some are going to be smaller than others. But I'm pretty sure the poverty level in heaven is probably better than the richest level here on earth. So, we're going to skip down to verse 37 uh, in Romans, sorry, again, Romans 8. What does it say here? Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, or excuse me, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, depth, nor anything created shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Anybody find a wiggle room in that one? You're not going to be able to separate us from the love of God as His. And it says we are more than conquerors. How are you a conqueror? Who in here has done so well on their own that you can conquer death? How do you conquer death? Did you fix the sin problem? No, because we still sin. But through Christ, we've conquered death. 
Christ is the conqueror. It's very similar to when Christ says, um, he who overcomes. Who's the overcomer? Who overcame the world? Jesus did. That makes you, as the Christian, an overcomer. Outside of Christ, you're not an overcomer. You're dead just like the rest of them. And in Revelation uh, chapter 2, Jesus is talking to the church of Pergamos. And uh, it's verse 17 if anybody wants to look it up. But at the end of, he, he gives them the things they were doing good, then he does the things that they're doing bad, and he makes a statement at the end. He says, you who overcome, remember who's the overcomer? So how do you overcome? <laughs> Belief in Christ Jesus. You must be in Christ to, to be the overcomer. Okay? But to he who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and the thing that I want to touch on is the white stone with the name written on it. A white stone has significance in the Bible. Because the white stones are in opposition to the black stones. See, when, when people would have friction with each other and they'd have something wrong, they would have to take it before, I don't know, say somebody slept with somebody's wife and they were caught in adultery, they would bring them before the judges and they would have all the witnesses, they'd have the trial, and then at the end of that, each one of the people that was in the council of the, the synagogue, they would cast a vote. And they would vote with either a black or a white stone. The black stone meant condemnation, you were dead. The white stone meant you were exonerated of all charges. So, he who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna and a white stone with a new name written on it. At salvation, Jesus Christ hands you, you're at the trial, he hands you a white stone. And you have a new name. He changes it from Jacob to Prince of God. Go ahead and come on up. Um, I don't know if anybody's been struggling with this, but blessed assurance has changed my life because it's taken the, it's taken the onus off of me. Because as a Christian, you can get to feel like there's so much weight bearing on you because there's so many things that you need to do right. The only thing that I can come up that's close, and I know those of you that are football fans will understand this, or football players at one time in your life, as a quarterback of a football team, if there's a dual system, a dual quarterback system, The quarterback, both of them, will struggle having assurance that they're going to be the starter. 
because there's no assurance that if they mess up, they're not going to get yanked. It's very similar to that spiritually speaking. When God says, you're saved, He means it. He's not going to yank you. You're not going to get left behind. And it should produce a response from that. That's the works. So, if anybody's been struggling with that, please come tonight. Come and and work it out with God. And even if you don't come tonight, go home and, and do the research yourself. Look it up in the Word. And see if you can find where God says, I'm going to leave you because you messed up. Or I covered every sin except for the one, the last one, that 5,212th. That was the line. You went over. I'm done. Please come. Mm-hmm.